Welcome to the Work Matters Podcast, where we discuss what matters at work and how to make it better. I'm Robert Richardson, here with Steve Hunt. Steve, what matters at work today? Reinvention matters, Robert. You know, this idea that we kind of reinvent ourselves throughout our careers. We go one direction, and then for a variety of reasons, we have to go another direction. And, you know, this happens a lot in kind of a crazy change where the world's changing, our interests change. Other things that require us to sort of the phrase like reinvent ourselves. Yeah. When you think that word reinvention, because it kind of is a buzzword, what do you sure. think it means? I mean, when you think about reinvention. Sure. Yeah, I think in part it's this process of rethinking uh, your life, right? And it's this willingness in a world of constant accelerating disruption to rethink who you are, reinvent who you are, and and kind of start again. Have you ever like given an example of reinvented yourself when you think about something where you've done this? Yeah, I, I think several times, but, you know, probably uh, this podcast is a really relevant example. I don't know for you, uh, this is new for you as well. So uh, so what's that like for you? Is this do you feel like you're reinventing yourself here? Yeah, I think I'm like all the time to some degree reinventing yourself sort of like, you know, it's not like I'm in a job, for example, that didn't exist a year ago in a function that didn't exist a few years ago in a technology field that didn't exist five years ago. There's no way I could have got here from a linear approach to careers. Wouldn't it be nice if Mm -hmm. every piece of our career were laid out from the beginning, right? I'd love to feel like I planned every moment in my career, but I think sometimes you change because of personal interest. I think sometimes you change because you realize you want to have a different kind of impact on the world. And I think sometimes you change and reinvent yourself because it's absolutely necessary, right? Because you got laid off or furloughed or something like that. Absolutely. And suddenly whole industries disappear. I mean, I guess on your thought, I'm actually glad I don't know what I'm doing next. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to feel smart enough that I planned it all out. I don't, you know. We're really fortunate today because our guest today is Mihir Gandhi, who's the vice president of strategic marketing for Eightfold AI, which is a company that focuses on building technology to really help people to some degree reinvent themselves, to find like my career was going one direction, and now I want to go to possibly a completely different area of the workforce and making these connections to facilitate this, this concept of reinventing and pivoting and changing your career. Prior to Eightfold, he was at Lyft as director of operations. Before that, he was a medical device investor. He worked in hospital research, healthcare revenue cycle consulting, insurance (laughs) strategy, chemistry major and religion major, and a diehard Spurs basketball fan. So Mihir, welcome to the show. You have clearly reinvented yourself multiple times. So I guess I'll start this question. Robert and I tried to say what reinvention means, but what does it actually mean? Reinvention is to reimagine and relook at the skills or capabilities that you have developed over time and frame them differently to chart a new course. Right? Very rarely do we start over from scratch. You know, I'm I'm 40 years old. I it's unlikely that I'm going to go to medical school now and be a cardiologist, right? That, that would be a complete mm-hmm. reinvention. But I can take the skills and foundations that I have gained through my experiences and um, uh, you know over time and repackage those in a way that helped me do something slightly different. Uh, I was introduced to the concept of reinvention very early on in my life. We are immigrants from India. My parents moved here when, when I was three. They met getting their PhDs in biochemistry. And when my mother was in her early 40s, she 
decided that she wanted to step away from academic science. Mm -hmm. She actually went and got her MBA part time. And you can imagine as a as an immigrant minority female in her 40s, changing a career and fundamentally reinventing yourself yeah. uh, is, is, is a fairly remarkable experience. I happened to be in high school at the time. And so I was old enough to understand and watch what this actually meant. Uh, and, you know, as I talk to her now, her reasoning for doing it was 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 twofold. Um, the primary reason was so that you could have more predictable work hours as a scientist. You often work, you know, whenever the experiments sort of uh, dictate. Uh, and what part of what she wanted was a more predictable sort of uh, corporate work environment. The second was I think she recognized that there was a deep seated interest that she hadn't fully explored yet on the business side of of her capabilities. And I think I got to imagine, you know, going back to school when you're in your 40s hmm. to start a new to chart a new career path. Um, you know, as I talked about that a little bit earlier, that's a fairly intimidating thing to do. And I got to watch that happen in highly formative years of my life, which are my high school years. And it certainly impacted the way I thought about uh, my own growth trajectory. Well, it's an amazing story about your mom and sort of that, I think that life journey. And I think you do see incredible stories of reinvention where people you know, have gone through amazing levels of change. One of the things you hit is reinvention is not restarting. It's not starting over. It's building upon that concept I think is really important. If I'm somebody that goes, yeah, I do want to change. You know, what sort of somebody want to go through before they decide to go, I was facing one direction and now I'm going to really try to face a different direction. Yeah, I think there's there's two key components to that. Um, and they all sort of, they, they both stem off of the resolve to do that. Do you really have the resolve to go change or try something new? And and the two things that come from that are persistence and resilience. On the surface, persistence and resilience can sound quite similar, but I, but I mean them pretty differently. And let me talk about that for a second. Resilience, you know, when you when you do decide you want to do something and you've made the resolve that I want to try something new and I'm going to go down a slightly different path or maybe a nonlinear path, you're going to face a lot of no's. You have to take those no's and listen to them. Frequently, it's in the form of a flat out rejection. Um, it, but many times it'll actually be through uh, a conversation or an interview cycle or something along those lines. Maybe it's a conversation with a friend who tells you you're crazy. Uh, maybe it's a coffee chat with someone who says you can't do it. Maybe it's an actual interview where you simply get rejected after the after the phone screen. In nearly every one of those cases, you can learn something. I think it's so easy for us to take a no and say, you don't know what you're talking about. But the reality is you're having that conversation with someone. They do know what they're talking about, to a certain extent, at least. And you can learn something. For some reason, someone has decided that you're not the right fit or that they don't agree with your path. So play the conversation back. Think about what you could have done differently. Think about their point of view and be resilient. Take no as actually feedback to understand what is what you can change or improve the next time through. On the persistence front, be appropriately persistent without being annoying. Um, and, and, you know, I think, you know, everyone, I have this, I have this thing I tell a lot of, a lot of folks that, that I talk to, which is, you know, go get it, right? Just, just go get it, whatever you want. No one's going to hand it to you. Just, just go get it. A couple of things I want to really like emphasize that you just shared. I think the first is this starts with a deciding on your persistence of you don't want to be where you are. 
if, if it's really truly a reinvention, you don't exactly know what it is you would become. You're kind of guessing. You think I'd like to do this. But but probably that motivation largely is not about where you're trying to get to, but about where you don't want to stay. I don't want to keep doing what I'm doing. I want to do something different. I want to change my life. But I think on the resilience, what you hit, which I think is really important because we've heard this in other podcasts about career changes, is when you start reaching out to people, you start trying different applications, all of those, view it as a learning journey. One, learn something about yourself through every interaction. You know, learn what the strengths and, and really listen to what they say when you're rejected. Understand, well, why? Try to understand why. But also, every time you interact with somebody else, they learn about you. And, and that expands your social network. And you don't know, but if it's a positive interaction with you, even if you don't get what you want in the short term, maybe you get something longer. If somebody going through a, I realize where I am is not where I want to be. What would be the steps you'd walk them through to say, once you know you want to change, these are the steps to walk through to think about what's possible to change and how to start that change process. Yeah, it starts with the why. Uh, and Steve, you know, it's, it's, you, you mentioned this earlier. Why do you want to change and, and what do you want to change? Um, and, and maybe more importantly, what do you want to keep the same? And and how do you play those two with each other and, and really dissect those? Now, in my experience, uh, in my experience is having conversations with friends about those things um, as sounding boards and as with mentors as sounding boards has been incredibly important um, and, and valuable. But crystallizing down to, um, you know, the why and the what I think are just so important to um, to that. And and then I think, you know, the next step really is to make sure that you have the humility around understanding that you're going to face a lot of no's. And as you take away from those conversations, learn from those conversations, continue to craft your stories around those. Now, stories are incredibly important vehicles. And as you understand the what and the why, creating the stories and the narrative that demonstrate each of those characteristics is incredibly important. We're starting to get into networking a little bit. But the follow-up is so remarkably important. If someone is investing 30 minutes or an hour or an hour and a half in, in, in time for you, follow-up, whether it's yeah. two months later or five months later or nine months later, hey, thanks for your time. By the way, here's what I'm doing next. Yeah, and I think and, you got to remember oftentimes that you're thinking about this a lot more than them, right? They're on to the next thing. This is uh, it, it, It's your responsibility perhaps to follow up and you know make sure. What – would be your recommendations of how to figure out who to reach out to and how to open that first conversation. People love talking about themselves. Um, and, uh, and as we, you know, as you understand that going in with a learning mindset is incredibly important on these cold outreaches. When I was back in venture capital, I would receive countless emails from MBA students the the messages I did respond to is, I think I'd like to learn more about venture capital. I'm also mm. considering a couple other career paths. Can you help me understand how you got into venture capital and why you like it and why you don't? I'm trying to figure out what I want to do next. And now I, this engaging me on how can I help this person on a problem or on a decision point, not a transactional, I want a job. And And those emails get a response and get time on the calendar. Uh, because it's about a decision point. It's not a, it's not a transaction. Technology, when it comes to reinvention, plays such a dominant role. On one hand, 
everything's available to us. Yet on the other hand, it seems like there's this wall of filtering mechanisms to prevent us from talking to actual people. Um, what would be your recommendation if I'm a person out there right now and I'm like, okay, for whatever reason, personal, economic, I need to do something different. And I'm sitting down at my computer and I'm like, I want to have one of these informational interviews. How do I go from I want to have it to I actually get it? Yeah, I think there's two concrete things you do. Um, and this is after you've helped define what you want to change and, and what you don't want to change. And hopefully you've made a list of those things and you've you've really thought through them. Again, I go back to persistence and resilience. Start reaching out to people who have either the jobs that you want to have in your next role or the job you want to potentially have two or three roles from then. That is one avenue that will help sharpen the way that you think about, that you talk about, and you grow your network within an industry or a function or a capability that, that you want to pursue more deeply. And as you do that, again, you're going to face a lot of rejections. You'll face a lot of non-responses. Try continuing crafting that email, that story, et cetera. The second thing is if you are on, you know, say LinkedIn or Facebook or any other social sort of environment and you find someone that you want to connect with, see if you have mutual connections. But, you know, as you think about some of these innovations or tactics and some of those mutual connections, just like very tactically, how do you help communicate who you are and what you are? to someone in advance, during, and after the conversation. Sort of like the building the reputation. And it does get into the next question I have, which I think is going to get us into the sort of area of eightfold AI, the technology you build, which is you need to reach out to people that you want to talk to, but part of the way that their willingness to talk to you, part of it is reach out to them appropriately, you know, as a learning, not as they give me a job, you know, as a, a, a sincere desire to, to learn from them. But the second thing, though, is you've got to have something about you that makes them want to talk to you, right? It can't be I'm just some random person, which I think goes back to that reinvention is not starting over. It's, it's building off of your capabilities. What is it when you're looking at your current capabilities just that you can do to say, how can I position what I have done, what I have accomplished that makes me interesting to somebody in a seemingly totally different field or different area? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I keep talking about stories because I think stories are so important. They naturally pull someone into um, into an understanding about who you are. I remember I was asked a question in an interview once, uh, and it was the first time I was interviewing at a startup, and the CEO of the company asked me if I'd ever started my own company. And I thought to myself, you're looking at my resume. You can clearly see that I've never started my own company. And and I gave a short answer. I said, no, I've never started my own company. And the interview continued. And later in the interview, I remembered that, you know, I kind of had started my own business. And I said, hey, I'd like to go back to a question you asked me before. Have I started my own business? I hadn't thought about it this way before. But, you know, when I was in high school, I used to string my own tennis rackets. I would pop strings and then go string my racket. And uh, I would hang out at the tennis shop at the pro shop and uh, i realized that the, the the pro shop made a lot of money they charged 30 25 or 30 bucks to restring a racket and i and they took three or four days to turn it around i could take someone's racket rollerblade home string it and be back in under an hour um and yes i, I said rollerblade that that may <laughs> give you a sense of uh 
uh, of how old maybe I am. Um, <laughs> hey, rollerblades are so cool. <laughs> they're right? coming back. Right? Because we still have mine. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, I realized, you know, I hadn't thought about that in the construct of, okay, I had to think about pricing. I had to think about the premium. I had to think about the turnaround time. I had to think about inventory management. How many string, how much string do I need to have on hand? What colors, what gauge, what brand, so on and so forth. I had never thought about that experience as being an entrepreneur. Instead, I thought about that as just a job that I did for fun to make money so I could go out and get pizza with my, with my friends, uh, on Friday nights. Um, and so, you know, when we talk about reinventing yourself, it's how do you take some of the experiences you have and flip them on their head, right? And, and flip them on their head in a way that help communicate the skills that you gained from doing that. We sell ourselves short in not explaining that. I mean, I, I, your, as your conversation, I remember years ago, I worked for a retail company and so I can sort of use a store manager and she told how she had been, she'd been out of work classic reinvention story. She had raised her kids and, you know, was, you know, in her, you know, midlife and kids had gone to college and she wanted to come back and work. And she was working as an hourly associate in this retail store. And there was an opportunity to be a store manager. And she was reluctant, but she decided, well, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. And the person said, well, have you ever managed, you know, an organization before? And she's like, well, you know, I've been a stay at home parent that she goes, well, I did run our town's youth athletic league which if you have any experience with youth sports involves parents and opinions and tons of coordination and the person <laughs> said if you can do that running a retail store is nothing. <laughs> <It's You know>? easy. <laughs> but she goes i never thought of it in terms of what i was actually doing i just thought of it in terms of the label this is where i think people don't realize where technology can't help a lot because i think the technology when you look at companies out there and you're trying to find opportunities, part of it is how you present yourself. So talk a little bit about that, where I am like, okay, I, I want to get noticed for my capabilities. Can you talk a little bit about how that plays out when you're reinventing yourself and how you, you can do it in a conversation, but you can also do it electronically? Yeah, you know, this is, this is an interesting topic because, uh, Steve, as you mentioned, we, we often... Uh, we often fall into this trap of the linearity of our careers and the, the distillation of what we have done into a bite-sized piece that hopefully someone can understand. Um, I was a, you know, I, I was a chemistry major. Okay. People can understand that. Um, or I'm a teacher. Uh, people can understand that. And we don't necessarily, you know, break down the skills behind it. Now, when you put yourself in the other person's shoes, whether it's a recruiter or a hiring manager or someone who you want to have a conversation with, they're probably dealing with a hundred other things. The research showed that on average, um, people spend about eight seconds reading a resume, quote unquote, reading a resume. Let's even say it's a minute to review it, to make this assessment of can this person actually do this job that I think they may want to do that's that's fundamentally just it's an impossible task we, we are giving recruiters and hiring managers an impossible task this is the kind of thing that that data can help augment the power of, of say a recruiter or an evaluator on as we looked at the data at eightfold one of the things we looked at were product trainers at tech companies and this remarkable thing jumped out a highly successful track to being a product trainer is an elementary school teacher and a middle school teacher <laughs> When a recruiter sits down and thinks, let me hire, let me go start recruiting for, for a product trainer, they don't typically think as their first thought, 
let me go see what high school and middle school teachers are available. That's right. But they may say, you know, I've had history recruiting well at this company. Let me go to that company and see if there's anyone there or, you know, you know, this particular title. Let me go look for people with that particular title. They're functions of their of their historical experience. Now, this is interesting because as we looked at the data, what makes for a, a successful product trainer? Uh, it's someone who can take complex ideas. They can break them down into bite-sized materials. They can do objection handling um, with a group of, uh, with a large group of people, some of whom could be not paying attention or unruly. They can handle questions and, and they can ensure that, that what they're teaching is being internalized. And when you look at a teacher in that construct, and you look at a product trainer in that construct, they're the exact same profile. Right. One is simply teaching employees at a company about a technology, and the other is teaching students about a concept. Um, but the skills required to do that are fundamentally the same. And, and I think, you know, when we talk about um, the career trajectories, career paths versus skills and capabilities and potential, then we then we start to to open the conversation around, OK, what is someone yeah. capable of doing? So, so both the, the interviewer as well as the person looking for a new role really needs to start thinking about how do I divorce my skills, so to speak, from the job itself? You know, and how do I market the skills, the competencies, what I've learned rather than simply stating what I did? The task that we put to individual hiring managers and recruiters is impossible. Like you cannot possibly look at somebody's resume in five seconds and truly understand their capabilities. So there is technology now that is really helping do that. It's not just humans looking at this stuff now. It's also, you know, complex mathematical algorithms looking at it. What advice when you look at somebody trying to reinvent themselves, getting into a new area, are there things they should be doing on their sort of electronic profile, if you will, out there that are going to help tools like what Eightfold AI does, find them. The system is not looking at one individual data point. It is looking at billions and billions of data points to help understand and triangulate what are you or what are you capable of? What are you truly capable of? And so it, instead of filling your resume with buzzwords, what's actually much more important is talking about what you accomplished. Oftentimes when you read resumes, what you read is a job description. Someone distills a, you know, a job that they did and then, you know, what they did, not, not how they did it or what skills they gained. And so as we think about that, that one page resume, and let's say it's just a human eye that looks at it, let alone a human plus, plus a technology. What people are looking for is what did you actually do? How did you accomplish that? How did you do it? What was your role in that? in that job or in that, uh, you know, in that task. And so as you think about crafting your electronic profile or, or putting together an electronic profile, a lot of it is about what did you do? What, what, and what were the results? Not what does the job description say? And if you take a hard look at your resume or your electronic profile or, or what have you, what you do want to have is what did you do and what was the outcome of what you did? As you're talking about that, I'm thinking of like in the academic world, they have they just need a resume and a vita, and a resume is a very short, succinct of kind of capabilities. But the vita is literally a listing of everything you've written and published in your entire career. And I remember going back and discovering there's stuff I'd done I'd forgotten I'd even done. 
<laughs> and, and some of it totally in a different area. And so I, I think that, that may be taken advantage of that. I think your point is it's not about gaming the system, but it's like if you have accomplishments out there, find a way. And the nice thing is that this is a nice thing, I guess, about like a LinkedIn and stuff. You can have the short summary for people and you can have the long exhaustive list. And if you've done something that's cool, get it out there so people know about it. Coming to sort of last question. So, you know, you, you've hit on this idea of reinvention and you say, first of all, you know, it's not, it's not starting over. It's building off of where you are. It starts with understanding why you want to change, which isn't just about what you want to become, but what you want to change about your life different from what you're doing. Um, and that persistence and resilience and sort of approaching with learning and humility and reaching out to people and then also thinking about yourself in terms of accomplishments and capabilities. What other sort of last thoughts would you have, you know, because I think this is happening. The world, in, increasingly people are going along in their lives and then suddenly something happens and the world is turned upside down. And so often this reinvention, while we talk about it positively, sometimes it comes out of a place of necessity. If I'm a person in that spot and I'm like, what would be your advice to somebody in that situation? Not to find the job necessarily that you think you want, but to work for someone that can help you grow and develop and help you find the next thing in your career. As you're looking for your new job, think about who you're working for. Think about who you're working with. Think about the alignment personally with them as much as you think about some of the other things. What skills am I gonna gain? What is the title? What is the pay? And all of those things are, are incredibly important, right? I don't mean to diminish those even slightly, but most people are willing to take a little bit of a hit on some of those things. If that means that they're working in a much better environment where they're happier, where they naturally will be more productive, go the extra mile, and then that is a stepping stone to sort of the next thing. And so, you know, I, I think there's a there's a very human element and we talked about humility earlier. You know, there's a very human element to thinking about who am I working for? Why am I working for for her or him? A career is not just about what you do, it's who you work with and where you work. And as you pointed out earlier, we have a lot of like far more flexible capabilities than we realize um, when you think about it that way. So, well, Major, this has been really fascinating, really great conversation, so much to chew on, and I think so relevant in the turbulent world that we're doing. So thank you so much for appearing on Work Matters. Really, it's been a fantastic discussion. Wow. Once again, my head's spinning, lots of stuff there. Um, <laughs> Uh, what, were, what were your takeaways from that conversation with Mihir? I really like what Mihir mentioned about learning from the nose. You know, I mean, one, it takes it takes a certain level of bravery, it, you know, to really put yourself out there and ask for these informational interviews and to to work to learn from somebody. Um, but you're, you are going to face rejection, you know, and, and so you need to learn from those no's. And then I'll add one other thing to that, because I think you hit on something really important in how you reach out to those individuals. And that is that it's not about you, even though it's kind of about you, right? You're reaching out to learn. Uh, you're reaching out perhaps for the next opportunity, right? But when you craft that message, when you write that email or, you know, the LinkedIn message, whatever it is, you know, work really hard to take out the word I you know, and really view this from that other person's perspective so that you're not making it about you. You're really framing what you're looking to do in the context of the lens through which that person is going to read it. 
if you're reaching out because I am looking for the next opportunity, I this and I that, you know, it doesn't feel the same way to the person receiving that message. Yeah. The other thing that I that I sort of took away from this is recognizing as you get out in the modern labor market. And I think this is an interesting thing about this show is a lot of people I think that are out there looking for work don't really understand how companies actually use technology to find sure. candidates. But certainly all the big ones rely extensively on it is this idea of having sort of two personas of yourself. There is the, when a person's looking at me, needs to be very short, very succinct. But when a machine's looking at me, it needs to be pretty long and exhaustive. And and so kind of having those two ways and listing all of your accomplishments. And then also, you know, if a person's talking yeah. to you, you can go back and refer to it too, to the, the sort of the last point in Mahir's story about when he was, you know, asked, Oh, have you ever started a company? No, he hadn't. Then you realize later on you have. You have probably done more things in your right, life than right. you realize you have done. And or, you are more interesting than you realize. That's right. Or you, who had to Google him own, his own self in order to find the papers you had written in the past. <laughs> yeah, it says something about how memorable my writing is when my author itself no, has forgotten no, written on. it. But, um. <laughs> that's it, everybody. We really appreciate you coming on and uh, listening to the Work Matters podcast. Thanks to Miguel Caroli and Eva Helbig of the Open SAP team. Thank you to Mihir Gandhi of Eightfold. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please help others to find it by giving us a quick rating wherever you find your podcasts. So if you're looking for more information, uh, please look no further than our show notes. You can find more on Mihir Gandhi Eightfold and SAP right there. We look forward to seeing you on the next podcast because what matters at work today? Well, reinvention matters. Work matters. Thanks for joining us on the Work Matters Podcast.